We're getting ready to embark on a section of the book of Revelation that's about three chapters long, and um, it's got some really beautiful symbolism and imagery that describes everything that we are experiencing in this age that the scripture calls the tribulation. This passage today is an introductory summary of not only just that three chapter section we're beginning to start, but it's also a summary of frankly almost all of human history in one paragraph, it's beautiful. I've titled this message, this is week number 27 in the book of Revelation, it's called The Woman Versus the Dragon. So, <clears throat> so far we know that Revelation is full of symbolism that describes and paints a picture of the suffering of God's people in this period that we call the tribulation. Question is, are you ever troubled or perplexed by the terrible things that have happened throughout history, human history and continue to happen even today? Do you get weary of seemingly a relentless, endless struggle against evil? There's war, genocide, violence, famine, unmistakable cultural decline. What about you personally? Have you ever felt like no matter what you do, this struggle just keeps coming in waves? Do the realities of this existential battle with evil ever leave you discouraged, overwhelmed, depressed? Do you ever feel like you're just <clears throat> wandering in the wilderness, hoping for some sort of sign or a break in the clouds, some sort of definitive direction? No doubt that our struggle with evil is real. It is so bad, I think often Christians struggle with feeling like victims in the world, don't we? We complain, we gripe, we stand in judgment. My friends, that's what the tribulation feels like. It's especially difficult if we don't understand why evil and the suffering it causes, evil just seems, I don't know, for lack of a better term, evil seems so loud, <laughs> right? It just seems so strong. It seems so ubiquitous. For those of you from Northport, ubiquitous means everywhere. That's what that means. <laughs> I love Northport, just kidding. <laughs> but as followers of Jesus, it's important to zoom out every once in a while, isn't it? Get out of the day-to-day -day and get our heads in and around the bigger picture. See, God knows we need that from time to time in this tribulation. So he gives us some aha passages, just like today's. And like I said, it kicks off a powerful three-chapter section as a summary introduction of everything that we're about to study over the next month or so. But here's the passage, starting in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. <clears throat> and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads, seven diadems, or crowns. His tail swept down one-third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished or comforted for 1,260 days. That is three and a half years. You remember, we learned this a few weeks ago, that this 1,260 days symbolizes the second half of the tribulation, which we are in. It symbolizes the church age. The first half of the tribulation is the life of Jesus when he was on the earth. And this 1,260 days is not an actual 1,260 days. It's a symbol of the time that we are in now. So the history of this passage is important. I'm going to talk about this story of redemption for just a moment. So understand what we've learned as we've gone through Revelation, right? What you cannot do with Revelation is read it in a linear narrative type of event by event, sequence by sequence, story or prophecy. Many would like it to be that and many treat it that way, but that's not what Revelation is. It is, in fact, a series of wide-angle, zoom-out descriptions of the major influences that are shaping the already, the right now, and the not yet. It's a narrative that paints a picture of the whole story of redemption through four main movements of history within that story. I'm going to break down those movements within the story of redemption for you as they are in the scripture so you'll understand. The first stage is creation. That's Genesis 1 and 2. God made the world without sin. And the reason he made the world is he wanted it to be a place where he could come and dwell with his people. He said, Adam and Eve, I've given you charge over this world. Be fruitful and multiply. And the scripture talks about how they would walk and talk with with God in the garden. That's what God has always wanted. A place where man could dwell with God. But then we have in Genesis chapter 3, the second part of this story of redemption, which is the fall. Satan successfully tempts Eve and Adam. And they set God's creation at odds with the creator. And that starts a whole spiral downward in human history. But starting in Genesis chapter 4, we have the next phase of the story of redemption, which is redemption itself. That is covered from Genesis 4 through Genesis 20, or through Revelation 20. That's a lot, right? It's thick. That's everything that God does to protect and to guide and to redeem his people until Jesus returns. In the Old Testament, it's the history of those who were faithful in Israel. We've got Moses. We've got Abraham. We've got judges. We've got kings. We've got the prophets. It is the story of God preserving his faithful, which was in the Old Testament Israel, the line of Jesus Christ. The New Testament starts off with the four gospels that explain who Jesus is, what he did, what he said, and what he will do. 
And then we have the book of Acts, which is a story. It's a beautiful story of how God takes a handful of scared disciples and starts a global movement that spreads through all nations and the rest of time. The epistles that are after the book of Acts address kingdom issues about how we are supposed to live in the kingdom, but also among a fallen world full of evil as we await Jesus to come back. And then we have the completion, which is in Revelation 21 and 22. And I know you wish we could get there right away, but we have more to do first. <laughs> this is where Jesus returns for final judgment of all of evil, destroys it, and he restores the earth to the place that the Father always intended it to be, a place where he can dwell among his people. This is a summary of the big picture. This was the paradigm within, it, within which God's people processed everything they knew about God from the Old Testament and including how they saw the contemporary world events around them is these four stages. Today's passage is like a parable that summarizes the entire Hebrew Bible using symbols John's readers knew quite well. It does phases one through three. So that's the history. Look at the spiritual side. What about God? What is he doing? I call this the battlefield. So this passage reveals <clears throat> the heart of the battle. Why evil is so loud. Why the nations rage and why God's people suffer as a result. And there are five Old Testament symbols that he uses. The woman, the dragon, birth pains, and the child and the wilderness. We're going to interpret each one for you. First of all, the woman. I want you to see something. The first thing John's readers would catch when he says the woman is they would know this is a reference to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. More on that later. You're going to love this. But they would also connect the woman to Joseph's vision because he says that she has the sun and the moon and the stars. They connected to the unmistakable vision that Joseph had about the faithful in Israel. It's in Genesis 37, 9. I'm just going to read it to you. Okay. He says, then, then Joseph dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the stars were bowing down to me. Do you see the similarities between that and today's passage? This is a direct connection. Joseph's vision described how God would preserve faithful Israel through a time of coming famine in Egypt and the world, thus preserving the line of Jesus. Scripture describes the faithful of Israel as a woman in other places as well. A woman rejected by the world, but chosen by God. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 6. The Lord has called you like a wife who was deserted and grieved in spirit. A wife of youth who was cut off or who has been cast off. So John's readers would also see an obvious connection to someone else, someone else, wouldn't they? Mary, the mother of Jesus as well. But there's more. The same descriptions used for faithful Israel in the New Testament are also used for the church as the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, this is when uh, Paul said this. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's an unmistakable parallel that Paul draws. 
Later in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8, John again describes the church specifically as the bride of Christ, the faithful throughout redemptive history. So the woman in this parable represents Eve, faithful Israel, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the church. She represents all of that. The next symbol is the dragon. This is an easy one, right? Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. That's the same chapter, just a little bit later on. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. By the way, the ancient serpent. John's readers would have known that is a direct reference to Genesis 3.14. The serpent in the garden. Who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. This is the dragon. This is Satan. The seven heads represent his cunning. The seven horns represent his power. The seven crowns represent his control and authority over the kingdoms of this world. The one third of the stars pulled down with his tail represent his power over the fallen angels, demons in this world. They are, in fact, if you'll wind back through the trumpets, they are the demon locust horde that we studied in the seven trumpets. Those who deceive the nations bring destruction and death and chaos. The dragon is the mastermind behind the whole world system and all of its governments, not just the ones you hate, all of them. He's behind what they do and how they do it. And then we have another symbol, the birth pains. This is another callback right to Genesis, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. I will put enmity or conflict between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, this offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The woman, he said, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. These birth pains represent all of the suffering of God's faithful remnant as the dragon raged against the line of Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. Those are the birth pains. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way through to when Christ comes, those are the birth pains. The pains are a result of this dragon who, as the scripture described in today's passage, is standing over the woman, waiting to devour not just the line of Jesus, but Jesus himself. You know, the dragon has always sought to destroy the line of Jesus, starting with Abel. Remember, he was killed by his brother Cain. The line of Seth was constantly under attack. Isaac and Ishmael. Esau and Jacob. Remember, Pharaoh tried to wipe out Israel's male children during Exodus. That was all the dragon. All of it. We saw it with Saul. Part of the unfaithful Israel trying to kill David. Do you remember that? When David ran to the wilderness, more on that later, he ran to the wilderness and Saul was trying to pursue him to kill him. We saw it with Absalom, David's own son, who wanted to kill David. That was all the dragon. It is the frontline battle causing all the pain and all the suffering of God's faithful from the fall until Jesus is born in Bethlehem. 
Throughout, though, God protects the woman, protects her offspring and the line of Christ. This is how, by the way, you want to learn how to interpret the Old Testament? Read everything with this in mind. How is the dragon trying to kill the line of Jesus in this story? What is God doing to protect the line of Jesus? Whether it's confusing things in Leviticus or the tedious book of Numbers or Deuteronomy, which just seems like a repeat of Leviticus in some ways, all these things, here's how you interpret it. You're confused? Okay, where is the battle in here? What is Satan trying to do to destroy the line of Christ? What is God trying to do to preserve it? When you start reading the Old Testament with that in mind, it begins to all fall into place. And once you grasp this, the Old Testament isn't confusing anymore. It's a beautifully woven epic narrative of the bigger story of redemption. Now we have the child in this story. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Finally, in Bethlehem, Jesus is born. God becomes man. He enters our world. He goes to the cross and he defeats death. And every day Jesus walked this earth, the enemy wanted to kill him. We see that throughout the gospel, do we not? We saw it when Herod tried to kill all the Jewish male children when Jesus was born. That was the dragon. We saw the Pharisees wanting to arrest and kill Jesus, but couldn't touch him because the hour had not yet come. That was the dragon. <clears throat> but after the cross, he ascends to heaven until the day he returns to take over the kingdoms of this world. We studied that last week with the seventh trumpet. Here's the last symbol, the wilderness. This is beautiful. If you people are Bible geeks, you're going to love this, okay? <laughs> so after Jesus is born, the woman, the scripture says, is whisked, whisked away to the wilderness. And there she's protected until the end of the tribulation. You know, the wilderness all throughout the Old Testament was always a place where God's faithful people would flee to escape their enemies. But it wasn't glamping, okay? It was hard living. It's a hard place to live. It's harsh. It's desolate. It tests every measure of human endurance the wilderness does. David, part of the line of Jesus, fled there when Saul wanted to kill him. When Absalom, his son, wanted to kill him, David went to the wilderness again. Moses fled to the wilderness. Elijah fled to the wilderness. Hagar fled to the wilderness. Countless stories of people who are part of the faithful Israel in the Old Testament fleeing to the wilderness for protection from the dragon. You know, Jesus went there too, do you remember? In fact, Jesus even warned the first century church when Rome starts to come to Jerusalem and everybody else is running to the city, where did he tell them to go? Flee to the mountains, flee to the wilderness where you will be preserved. And that's where we are today, church. We are in the wilderness. We are protected from the dragon who wants to devour us, but it's not easy living here. Personal section, what about us? What are we supposed to do? I've entitled this section, Your Mother in the Wilderness. That's what the church is, by the way. It's who we are right now at this moment. 
This was the sermon preview this week. The enemy has always hated God's faithful because our inevitable redemption signals his failure and seals his fate. These five symbols are the underlying catalyst. Understand this now. I'm giving you the keys, not not me, God is. We're giving you the keys to understanding all of human history and the future. These five symbols are the underlying catalyst behind every major movement in human history. The past, the already, the right now, and the not yet. It is a 30,000 foot view of this battle, who is in it, what's at stake, and the ultimate objectives of both sides, both good and evil. There has always been and always will be until Jesus returns this constant struggle between evil and the woman representing all of God's faithful. The woman who suffers birth pains, gives birth, and is whisked away to the wilderness, she is the prize in this battle. This is the one that either the enemy wants to kill or God wants to preserve. She is the object of the dragon's wrath. She is also the recipient of the Father's love, grace, mercy, and protection. Boy, that's quite a front line, isn't it? She represents the human element of every redemptive act of God throughout history from Genesis 4 to Revelation 19. She represents Eve. She represents the faithful remnant of Israel throughout the Old Testament. She represents Mary, and today she is us, the church. You know, John wrote this not just to give you insight into the greater spiritual battle, but he also wanted to show you that we, in fact, are participants in the battle. And this is the greatest miracle of God's grace. Are you ready? Bible geeks, you ready? Not only does the woman represent the church, but she also represents the child. Remember who was supposed to crush the serpent's head? Look what Paul says in Romans. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Do you see how Jesus and the church become one? That's what it means when we are in Christ. The church is our mother, and we along with Jesus are her offspring, and we along with Jesus one day will crush the dragon's head. No wonder he hates us so much. No wonder he rages against the woman and her offspring with all of his power and all of his might and all of his effort. Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed when the dragon's head is crushed. We are... More particularly, you are objects of the dragon's hate. Because as our redemption plays out, 
it is an insulting reminder and slap in his face that he ain't gonna win. And just like Eve and Israel and Mary and Jesus, we are spectators. We are participants in the war. We are targets of the dragon's ire. So you begin to understand now, right, why Jesus told Peter, you know, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He wants to destroy you, but I'm not going to allow it. You begin to understand why scripture says we should be joyful when we suffer because it's a sign that we are in Christ and we are going to be the ones who crush the dragon's head. You begin to understand also, if not, you should, how dependent you are on the precious church and how foolish you are to neglect gathering together. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight, nine. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. That's for someone else. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Yes, it is true that living in the tribulation in this wilderness is tough. There's suffering. There's disease, there's hardship, there's discomfort, there's pain, there's loss, there's grief, there's frustration. It's not supposed to be comfortable or prosperous. I don't care what prosperity preacher tells you it is. He's wrong. There's a dragon who's trying to devour us. But here's the good news. We are marked. Remember that? We are protected. And despite all the noise, ultimately, that old serpent will fail. The woman is protected. The line of Jesus is preserved. The church is nourished in the wilderness throughout this tribulation. God preserved the line of Jesus, and he will preserve us. He will preserve you. God will never leave us or forsake us, his chosen faithful. You know, even though this dragon is always nipping at our heels, time and again, at every turn, his efforts have been thwarted and will be. You know, how angry the dragon must get knowing that the woman and her offspring are always one step ahead and always will be. How anxious he must be knowing one day the woman and her offspring will crush his head and destroy his demon horde. So understanding this begins to help you make sense of why things are so royally messed up in this world. We are in the midst of a high-stakes battle. Because we understand this big picture, we don't sit around like moping poor little victims. We are active in the battle against the forces of the dragon. 
And together, we pray for the dragon's schemes to be thwarted. We pray that we will persevere in the wilderness until Jesus returns. And as the dragon walks around seeking offspring to devour, we best have each other's back, encouraging one another, lifting one another up, reminding each other of the story of redemption. And get this, remember those beautiful feet we've learned about that take the gospel? Those same beautiful feet God will one day use to crush the dragon's head. So we boldly proclaim the gospel, calling others that have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to our mother, the church. Hey, join the kingdom of God. Follow our Jesus. Heavenly Dad, Sometimes we need to zoom out. We get so distracted by everything happening around us day to day. Evil is so loud. It's so annoying. It's so relentless. But first of all, God, thank you for preserving our mother, the church. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into light. Thank you for taking us from the dragon's clutches into the wilderness and sustaining us while we wait for you to return. But until then, Lord, keep us from falling into the trap of feeling like victims. We are more than conquerors. And one day, you will crush Satan under our feet. So until then, we pray for the dragon's schemes to be thwarted. We pray that we will persevere and endure in the wilderness. We pray that you would help us have each other's backs to encourage one another, to love one another, even as we see the day approaching. We pray for those who will hear the message of hope and redemption as we with beautiful feet, the same ones who will crush the dragon's head, as we with beautiful feet take the gospel into all the nations, inviting people to join the kingdom of God and follow you, our precious Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this passage that can inspire us, encourage us, and give us understanding of the big picture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, we love you. Have a great week. Go with beauty.